I do appreciate being here. There's, I appreciate the music. It's the right kind of music, and it's done in the right kind of way. It's a blessing. It speaks to my heart. There's two, uh, the young lady that played the cello, that wonderful song uh, that she sang. And it's, it's so wonderful if you know the words to all these old songs. And then that song that she played, there's a little lyric. Thou hast bought, we, thou hast bought us, thine we are. How wonderful it is to know. Because of the price paid on Calvary. I belong to Jesus for the rest of eternity. Thou hast bought us. Thine we are. I think that would help us to live a kind of life that we ought to live for him. And the last song that the ladies sang. Is my master satisfied with me? That's quite a convicting back-to-back song service in my mind. Is your master satisfied with thee? There's a lot of things in life uh, that we do that get us kind of off track, I think, a lot of times. There's a great preacher, Bible expositor, really from, and that's my only way of knowing this guy. I'm from an old school, but not this old a school. G. Campbell Morgan said this, we cannot organize revival, but we need to set our sails for the wind of heaven. You can't make a revival happen, but may our hearts be prepared and in the right attitude uh, that God can give us one and send us one and we'd respond properly to it. I think we need, uh, I have a, we have two fireplaces at our house, one I don't think I've ever had a fire and it's in the living room. My wife won't let me track all that lumber and then all the ashes and all that stuff out. She doesn't trust me, I guess. But we have one in the family room and we don't have a lot of fires anymore. We had one all of last year. But about five years ago, I come across something. My wife found them, really. My wife, uh, until uh, she got cancer and until her last a client died, she cleaned houses for rich people. There was no sense cleaning houses for poor people because they couldn't pay enough. But she cleaned houses and it really cared for old elderly people and had just a great rapport with them. She led one of the ladies to the Lord just about six months before she died and uh, God used her in a wonderful way, and those people were kind to her, and she was a blessing to them. But one of her uh, clients had something in their house for their little fireplace. Uh, it was called fire starters. I'd never seen them. I might have seen them in the store. They didn't register with me. But I'm going to tell you, they really helped. And you pour, rip a little bit, and you light that, and that burns. Whoop, and you got yourself a nice, warm, blazing fire real quick. And we need some fire starters when it comes to revival. We need some people whose hearts are right and their attitudes are right. And they want to see revival. And we've had prayer meetings tonight. We had one with the men in the back. And we had one in the congregation tonight. And I think those are fire starters. That helps to get us moving in the right direction. And I pray God would in these few days send us a revival. 
I want you to look in your book, if you would, to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. The 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. And I'm going to read a portion of scripture uh, beginning in verse number 13 uh, that has to do basically with the apostle Peter and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust the Lord would show us a couple things this evening. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now I thought about that one time reading through there. Jesus and John Baptist, uh, they were relatives. Uh, their mothers were related, I think cousins. I don't know what that makes you, a second cousin or a fourth cousin, but there was some, there could have been some family uh, resemblances. I think it goes a lot farther than that. I think they preached the same message, a message of repentance. So they said, uh, some would think you're John Baptist, some think Elias, some Jeremiah, and some other prophet. But verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the scribes and chief priests, the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. And began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now I want to talk to you tonight for just a few minutes on this topic. I, th I really have two titles. I'll get to the second one in a couple minutes. But I want you to consider, first of all, in the light of the communication that went between the dialogue that went between Jesus and Peter here, my, how you've changed. You know, sometimes we say those things concerning people uh, maybe that we haven't seen in a while. Now, if you're a grandparent like I am and you don't see your grandchildren very often, I see my grandkids about once a year. I've, Missionaries in Mexico, there's one in Detroit area, there's another one down in uh, Beckley, West Virginia, pastor in the church. So I, I don't see my grandkids often and man, they turn around and they've grown so much. They've changed so much in height and, and uh, the way they look. And sometimes uh, people's countenance changes because of circumstances or, or some sickness that may have befallen them or things that happen 
in life affect them greatly. But you can see in this portion of scripture, of scripture how quickly Peter's position changed. Unknowingly, Peter was used of God and Satan within a matter of a few minutes, I think. Within a half an hour, I believe, in this story here in the Bible. In one place, he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you didn't make that up, Peter. That came from my heavenly father. He gave those thoughts to you. A few minutes later, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to, be ri- I'm going to rise again. And Peter said, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, business talking like this. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me. Who? Satan. Here's someone used of God in a wonderful way to proclaim the deity of Christ and a few minutes later being used by the enemy. It would be kind of like that cello down there. That young lady played a little while ago and the music that came from that instrument blessed my heart. Just a, a lyric that I remembered from that old song. I would suppose somebody could get on the stage someplace in America and pick up maybe even that same instrument or one like it and play music that would be absolutely against everything that's in the Bible. Had nothing to do with anything spiritual. I have a question. This is my second title. Who is using you? God picked up Peter and used him like a trumpet to proclaim the deity of Christ. Satan, just a little while later, picked him up and played a completely different tune from this disciple's life. Who's playing you? Who's using you? My, how quickly we can change. You know, you can be riding in your car to work tomorrow or maybe uh, on the way home tomorrow and, and uh, church starts at 6.30 and you really want to get here and, uh, you know, traffic jams and all this and you maybe could have a Christian radio station on your, playing on your radio and everything's fine and then somebody cuts you off and you're saying things you ought not to say under your breath. I'll give you that. <laughs> How quickly we can change. See, there's a vast difference between our flesh, which is so often talked about in the Bible, and our mortal flesh, which is our body. Now, there's an easy definition to that. Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 24 says this. They that are, are Christ have crucified the flesh with the lust and the affections. Now, there's not a Christian in this room that has taken your body, your physical body, and laid it out on a cross and have somebody nail your body to it. None of us have. And you'd be crazy to do it. It'd be wrong to do it. But every born-again child of God needs to have his flesh crucified from the lust and the affections. Our lives need to be changed to be altered see our flesh when you got saved your flesh didn't disappear 
And I think what it's talking about in the Bible when it's talking about our flesh, it's talking about the disposition of life. It's how we are on the inside. You know that when you got born again, you were given a divine nature. I'll take that back. The divine nature. You were given the divine nature. It didn't take away your old nature, but you were given the divine nature. When you got born again, you received the heredity of Jesus Christ. To a certain extent, every one of us in this room that's saved have within us the DNA of God Almighty. We've been regenerated. That term's in the Bible, regeneration. We've been regened. We've had a genetic, a spiritually genetic transformation. Spiritually, we have God living inside of us. Same old body, but God enables us to live differently. We have the divine nature. Now, you know this as well as I do. Before you got saved, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's just back up a couple of books in the Bible. To, and, and I love Romans chapter 6. I, I, love, I tell you, one of my favorite little portions of Scripture in all of the Bible is found in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. I'm so thankful. Listen, until I got born again, March the 15th, 1970, sin had dominion over me. But when I got saved, sin no longer has dominion. There's a little bit more to the story than that. Look what it says, the latter part of that verse. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But thank be God that ye were, past tense, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now, before you got saved, you were a faithful, dedicated, loyal servant of sin. When you got born again, we become servants of righteousness. But now the Apostle Paul knew a lot about human nature. And so does the Holy Ghost. Look what it says in verse number 19. I speak after the manner of men because of what? The infirmity of your flesh. That's not talking about your body. That's not talking about getting sick and old, handicapped. That's not that. That's talking about that disposition within, that frailty you say, well, I've, it's the frailty of my flesh. That's not your physical flesh. That's that inner man. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, what are my members? That's my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my legs, my body. When I leave, when a man, when an individual 
I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness, and when a child of God leads his members or her members to uncleanness, that's when we say things we ought not to say, we listen to things we ought not to listen to, we see things we ought not to observe, we do things that we ought not to do, we go places we ought not to go, we touch things that we ought not to touch. What does it lead to? If I was a teacher and you were in class, what does it lead to? When you yield your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. When a child of God starts down a path of yielding their members to things that are not right, that are wicked, that are ungodly, that are, it leads to iniquity. And iniquity, and I'm not adding to the Bible, but you know just as well as I do, it leads to iniquity, to iniquity, to iniquity, and more iniquity. You can go down that path if you want to as a child of God, but that's not the path that leads to righteousness. Look what it says in the rest of that verse. Even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness. What's that lead to? Holiness. Without which the Bible says no man will see the Lord. I'm to yield my members not to uncleanness that leads to iniquity, but I'm a lead to lead, yield my members to righteousness that leads to holiness. Now here's an interesting thing too. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye were not Ye were now, ye are now ashamed. You weren't ashamed before. You weren't ashamed when you lived out in sin and ungodliness. And, you know, you may have felt bad and you didn't want mom and dad to find out and that kind of stuff. But now that you've been saved, when you yield your members to uncleanness and iniquity and ungodliness, you ought to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed. What fruit ye had in those things? Wherever you're now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Ask Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Who are you yielding your members to? Who are you submitting to? Who are you, who are you still following after? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we were as faithful and committed and sold out servants to righteousness as we were to sin? Now, some of us in this room, I don't know if this is a good descriptive term or not. We were successful sinners. Maybe you back up. We were professional sinners. For the wages of sin is death. You're going to get paid for it. I mean, you, you were good at sin. You were skilled at sin. You were an expert sinner. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have the same commitment to Christ and loyal 
guilty to Christ as we had to sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness. I have never awakened one morning since I've been saved and said, I wonder what kind of deviltry I'll get in today. I wonder how many times I can grieve the Holy Ghost today. I wonder how unspiritual I can be today. I wonder how many cuss words I can say today. I wonder how, how, how much uh, gossip I can get involved in today. I wonder how, how I can figure out new ways to criticize the pastor or some fellow Christian. I never woke up in the morning desiring that. But in these 53 years of being a born-again child of God, I might have done some of those things a time or 10. Didn't plan on it. Wasn't my motive in life. I, there was no aspiration as a child of God to do anything displeasing to him. Same old body. We got the same old body. When I got saved, my body didn't get saved. This old body is going to grave one of these days. That inner man's going to be with Jesus. Matter of fact, the Bible says we are seated together in heavenly places with him right now. I've never been able to really wrap my mind around that, but I believe that. We're already there, just waiting for our, the rest of us to get there, the, the rest of me to get there. We're seated together with him. It ought to affect our relationship. The Bible said there we were basically, sin had dominion over us. We were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin, obedient Servants of sin. Thank God we now can be obedient servants of God. Amen. And you say, you know, you know, some people think sin is just a defiance. I think it is a defiance towards God. I think it's a whole lot more than a defect. Well, you know, it's just me, you know, so, you know, all, we're all human, so we're all going to, you know. I think sometimes it's a defect and sometimes it's a defiance against God Almighty. I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what. How have you changed? Now I'm going to give you three or four illustrations. I'll be done tonight. I was preaching. Uh, I'm going to tell you where. It's on the shores of Lake Erie. I'll give you that. In New York. And uh, I'd flown up to Buffalo. Preacher picked me up at the airport. And uh, we had to drive, uh, I don't know, it was probably an hour or so along the coast there of Lake Erie. And we came, uh, I don't know what kind of Indians they were, uh, some kind of an Indian reservation there. And the pastor, he asked me, he said, uh, do you have any, uh, I don't know if he used the, the per the correct term, Native American. I don't think he said that. I think he said, you got any Indian blood in you? I said, well, yes. My uh, grandmother on my uh, mother's side, she was a Chippewa Indian from Michigan. He said, good. I said, why is that good? He said, on the reservation, if we're Indian or Native American, he said, he said we can buy gas for 50 cents a gallon cheaper. That was when gas was about a buck a gallon. That was when Jimmy Carter was president or something like that. It was a long time ago. And so he did. He bought, we bought gas. 
He went in and said, yeah, we got a, I got an Indian in the car, I guess. I don't know what he said, but we got, you know, the, the thing changed. The, the pump changed. We got a fifth. He went inside. I, you know, you could buy cigarettes there a dollar cheaper. I think he bought some too, by the way. I'm not sure. But. So we got to the, play, got to the church. They, they owned a house across the street from the church, so I stayed in the house. And it was empty. I guess they just used it for missionaries and people like me. And so I came across. The building was about as wide as this building, but it was only eight rows deep. And the rows were about as long as yours, but just eight rows. And they had had a pack. It was Pack-a-Pew Sunday. So I taught Sunday school like I did this morning. And then I had back in those days, I had uh, cassette tapes. Now, you young people, you don't even know what a cassette tape is. You don't even know what a phone booth is. So just keep your mouth shut. You don't know everything. And... Uh, so I had I was selling cassette tapes of me preaching. I got over that real quick. But uh, who in the world, all that stuff, who wants to keep all that stuff? But anyway, I, I had a little cassette and I had a little uh, religious paper that I put out, just four pages, uh, like a stuff that I'd mail to preachers and stuff. And I had that laying on the table. And I don't know if I can illustrate it very well. Uh, the, the, the church had... A door here and a door here. This door opened. Oh, yeah, I can. But this door did not open. So a lady came. My book table and, and myself, not book table, cassette table, was right there where that chair is. She stood in the door like this, and she saw me. And she stood in the door. I hate to say this, but she filled the entire doorway. I wonder who was using me. I've never said that in my life in this illustration. <laughs> and she put her head behind the door like this. And she said to out in the parking lot, oh, no, another guest speaker. <laughs> and left. Well, they'd had the song service and everything. I got up to preach. I'm preaching. And here comes Jezebel. <laughs> it, it, the whole second row was empty. And she piled in with 10, 10 or 12 people and they packed that. That was the only pew open, the only seats open in the whole building. It was packed. She filled that whole second row. I got up and preached some gospel message that morning. Out of that second row came a lady. Now, I'm going to tell you, young, there's some young guys, five or six young people, young men over here. When you're going to talk about a, a lady's age, if you look at them and you say, I think that old gal is 70, <laughs> you better say there was a 52-year-old lady. <laughs> you always underestimate their age. Now, with teenagers, like 12 or 14-year-olds, they want to be 18 or 22. I don't know what happens for women in middle age there, but something changes drastically. So there was a woman about 56 <laughs> that came out of that aisle. There were eight people saved that morning. 56 came out of there and got born again. There was a girl about 22 who came out of that same pew 
And she got saved that morning. After the service was over, I'm walking out the middle aisle, heading out to my little cassette table, and that woman met me right there. Tears just flowing down her face. She said, oh, Brother Green, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. She said, my mother and my daughter got saved this morning. You know, I went from, oh, no, another guest speaker to the second coming of Billy Sunday <laughs> in less than 45 minutes. I wonder who put that, those words in her mouth. I wonder who put that thought, oh, no, another guest speaker. Didn't make me feel very good. And really, it kind of made me feel worse when she walked in. I don't know what in the world she's going to do. I wonder who uses us when we open our mouths and say things that hurt other people. I wonder who's using us when we criticize. Criticize the preacher, criticize the Sunday school teacher, criticize the song leader, criticize this and criticize that. And why did she have to wear that today? And what kind of a tie does he think that is that he's got on? I wonder who's using us when we gossip. When we're busybodies. I don't remember where that verse is. I think it's over in first or second Peter. Peter names three desperately wicked sins. Murder and adultery, I think, and one other thing I can't remember. You know, and you, get, you read those, man, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And then he says, busybodies and other people's matters. Just got to know. Your pastor's wife would know this family. I won't call their names. This young girl, I honestly, I can stand here tonight and say I have prayed for this girl every day of her life. Every day. She's probably in her 30s now. She uh, went to the big university in Lansing area. I would not recommend you sending a Christian girl to a public institution nowadays at all. Amen. Of higher learning, supposedly. Well, it was about her junior year, maybe, in that college. And she went to spring break with some friends down on the coast of Alabama. Now, I'll tell you another thing. I would never recommend that a Christian go to spring break on the beach in southern Alabama, the top side of the moon, or anywhere else. You ain't got no business there. And that's not good English, but you ain't got no business there. She went down there and met a boy. Fell in love with him. And her mother forbid her of having much to do with him. Wouldn't let her get married, of course, and I tried to keep them apart, but she got a job down, left college and went down to that part of the country where that boy lived and got a job and was working, had her own home. 
And I called her mother one day and I said, you know, I'm going to be preaching about 50 miles from where, and I called the girl's name where she lives. I said, maybe you could tell her I'll be preaching in such and such a church and maybe she could bring that boy down there. At least I could give him a gospel shot. And he, he, may, he may come forward and I might be able to deal with him. I was surprised they showed up. I preached the gospel. Down the aisle that kid came. I don't know why he did it. But he went and the vaulters were full in that church that, that morning. But he went over and he went over on this part of the, the altar. Back in those days I could kneel real easy. <laughs> and I knelt down at the, uh, where the organist was. The organist had gone off. or the, I don't think the organist played. Uh, just the piano played for that uh, service. And I knelt there, and this is the first thing I said to that kid. Now, you can do your soul winning the way you want to do it. I said to that boy, if you're just coming down here to make a little prayer and think that's going to make everything all right, son, you're going to die and go to hell because that's not salvation. And I went through everything you're supposed to go through in the Bible, and I think with some crocodile tears, he prayed the prayer. I went to the wedding. I didn't perform it. I went to the wedding. My wife and I did. Long ways away from where we live. And uh, they were married two months. She called her mother on the phone. She called her husband's name. Said, Mommy hasn't been sleeping in the same bed with me for over a month now. They've only been married two months. Said, he sleeps down in the basement. She said, when he went to work today, I went down in the basement. I found cocaine, other dope paraphernalia. Come to find out this kid's smoking. This is a few years ago, 15 years ago or so. He's smoking $150, $200 worth of dope every single day that the world went around. So her brother and her uncles came and rescued her from that place and brought her back to mama's and and uh, she got back in, in my dad's church and under the sound of the gospel and hearing some strong preaching. And her mother called me and said uh, two or three times, she called her daughter's name and said, boy, she went forward today. Got some things right. Things are so much better around the home. And two or three times her mom called and told how wonderful things had happened with her daughter who'd come back to that old church house and heard that old man of God preach and the Holy Ghost walked up and down the pews of that building and dealt with people and she got right. I almost said ladies. With some women. Some busybodies. One of them went to her one day after service and said, Boy, your husband must really love you, let you come up here and stay with your mom for all these weeks. And another lady said, I'm sorry, another busybody said something similar. I'm not saying it was right, but it drove that girl out of that church. And to my knowledge, she has never stepped foot in that church in over 20 years. wonder who used those battle axes. Is that a good word? I don't know. It's descriptive, isn't it? I wonder who used them. 
to make a young lady's burden heavier. I'm going through enough. My husband's a dope addict and I was somewhat deceived and I'm trying to get straightened out and God's helped me, but why do you do that to me? I don't say it was right for her to leave and quit and go the way she's gone. I wonder who's using you when you criticize a fallen brother or when you try to console a fallen friend and help them to find their way back to the Savior. I wonder who. I don't think your pastor's wife would know this guy. I think he's long gone by the time they got there. We used to have a guy come to my dad's church. He got saved. His wife got saved. Kids got saved. This guy had a hard time being faithful. Well, when he was right, when he was faithful in church, I mean, you couldn't get it. I mean, he'd do anything and everything just on fire for God and, and praise the Lord and involved in this and involved in that. He was involved in everything. Visitation, soul winning, work on the buses, do everything. But when he got cooled off, when something bugged him, I mean, the FBI couldn't find him. And that's back when the FBI was pretty good. <laughs> when he was out, I, I mean, he'd get way out. Then he'd come back to church, maybe out, maybe six months, maybe even a year. His wife's faithful, his kid's faithful. He'd come back, kind of a big smile on his face. Preacher preached something down the aisle, oh, his name was Fred. Uh, down the aisle, old Fred would come. He'd get right with God and people would shout and praise God and hug his neck. It was wonderful. And he'd stay faithful for about another year and then off he'd go. In my dad's church, uh, all across the front years ago, it's not like this anymore, about as uh, long as this, that whole side of that building right there, it was all glass. And you could see out in the parking lot, see when people were coming. And two or three of us idiots I don't know if you're supposed to say that either, preacher, but it's a very descriptive and accurate term. We were standing around the drinking fountain Sunday morning between Sunday school and church. And here comes old Fred, gets out of his car. He comes walking in. He's got a, you know, kind of a childish grin on his face. And he gets about from here to the piano. And this quartet of fools starts to sing. There's a welcome here. There's a welcome here. Hallelujah. There's a welcome here. Blah, 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 blah. However that song goes. Old Fred turned on his heel. Out he went, got in his car, and didn't come back for another three or four months. I wonder who was using us. I wonder who put it in our hearts. Let's, let's make fun of Fred coming back. Who is using you. You know, there used to be uh, a little slogan, look before you leap. There ought to be one, think before you speak. And I'm just about done. I'll be preaching there next month. Coldest state in America. You can figure out what that is. As far north as you can get. Right on the Banks of the North Sea. 
Arctic Ocean, really. And, uh, yeah, the North Sea, somebody says, the Arctic Ocean. And uh, I was preaching up there. The preacher told me some of this. The mother told me some of this because I didn't know who the mother was when I saw her in the airport getting ready to leave the next day. But there was a lady, excuse me, there was a young girl in that church, faithful people. The young girl had a boyfriend. Her parents had forbidden her or forbade, whatever is the correct word. Anyway, they told her, you can't have nothing to do with this boy. And I'm going to tell you something, young lady. Your dad and mother have the right to do that. You live at their house, under their roof, eat their food. They put clothes on your back. And besides that, your mom and dad, they're they're your mother and your father. And they know best. But there was a woman in that church that was filled with the spirit of Oprah. And she told that young lady, she said, now I know that your mother doesn't want you to see, name this boy, but I tell you what, I'm going to have him over to my house and then I'm going to invite you over to maybe do some housework for me and then you and him can be together at my house. You know the story. Within a matter of weeks, she was expecting that boy's baby without benefit of one of these on her finger. I want to, the preacher told me a little bit about that, about what I've told you. And uh, I was at the airport the next day, Monday, flying home. And uh, I saw this lady. I didn't know she was the mother of this kid. I had no idea. And, but she recognized me, and I guess we recognized each other at the same time. I said, you go, go call the name of the church. You go, yes. And I was there yesterday. I said, great, where are you going? I didn't know anything. She said, I'm going down to Portland, Oregon. I said, really, what's down there? Oh, my daughter's having a baby down there. Oh, you mean uh, your, your family's gone, moved down there and doing work? Or? No, my daughter's not married. She's down with my parents. She's going to have the baby down there, and I'm just going to be there because I'm mom. I wonder who used that woman to say, come over to my house. I don't care what your mother and dad think. Well, follow your heart. Who is using you? I'm done. Remember a guy in the Bible? Pretty close friend of Jesus. Matter of fact, he's the same guy mentioned here in this sixth, excuse me, in the uh, 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. But now it's Matthew. Chapter 26. And they're in a garden. And Jesus is there with 11 of his disciples. And one of them, the 12th, he is wending his way in the darkness. According to Josephus, leading 600 men with torches. Could you imagine what that must have looked like from the heights of the Garden of Gethsemane down into that valley? It looked like a flaming serpent. Hundreds of men long. 
And that man who's leading that entourage wants to kiss the Savior. And what does Peter do in Matthew 26 and verse 51? You know what his solution is? He takes his sword and cuts a guy's ear off. That's, he's cutting. In verse 51, he's cutting a guy's ear off. I've often thought about that guy. I, won't be, I wouldn't be surprised he'd be in heaven one day. The Lord put, I don't know how the Lord put that ear back on. He might have just spoke to it and whoop, came up here and got on. I don't know. It may have fell on the guy's shoulder and he picked it up and just put it back on. But I'll tell you, if Jesus put my ear back on, I think I'd listen. Got that? But he's cutting. Now go to verse 73, 4, 2, back in there. 72, 3, 4, back in there. Um, John got him in somehow. But he didn't go where John went. He warmed his hands at the enemy's fire. And some little gal said, you, I, I think you were with Jesus. He said, I don't know the guy. Never even heard of him, frankly. And someone else comes up and he says, blankety blank, I don't know the blankety blank blank. The Bible said he, he swore, he used oaths, and he cursed I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know how you would do it back in those days, but you know how people do it today. I wouldn't be surprised if he took the Lord's name in vain. He cursed. He used oaths and swore. Here he is cutting a guy's ears off in defense, and now he's cursing. But in that 75th verse, He goes out, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. He's crying. Cutting, the cursing, the crying. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. Every time, every time I allow the enemy to use me, I feel like crying. You know, sometimes, fellas, you know as well as I do. We say the most unkind things to the woman that loves us the most, our mates. I think sometimes, children, we say the most unselfish, excuse me, the most selfish and unkind things to the two people in the world that love us the most, our mom and dads. Sometimes, church folk, We reserve our most caustic remarks to our pastor or our pastor's wife or a staff member or the Sunday school teacher, someone that cares about our souls. Bible taught pastor cares about our souls. Who is using you? How quickly we can change. 